This is the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller. We hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation. Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I'm so glad that you've come along. I have been looking forward to this conversation today, and I do highlight conversation. Now, some of you are highly anticipating a knockdown, drag out debate where somebody destroys somebody else. Well, that is not what's going to happen here. And I'm really glad to have an opportunity to have a charitable, honest conversation with the goal of producing clarity. That's the, that's the focus here. And so I'm delighted to have on the podcast with me, Chick Yule, who we had a little bit of dialogue a couple of weeks ago where I responded to something that he presented. And then we had a conversation together. And after that conversation together, we felt like, well, should we have a formal debate? But I think we got along so well, Chick, that we just felt like, let's just have a conversation. Is, do you think that's how it went? We, we developed a bromance straight away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, yeah I, I'm very happy for good. I don't mind uh, boisterous debate either, but, but good conversation is, is best of all. Right. And I'm hopeful that this will be a model for people who have yeah. differences so that we can demonstrate the way we can be charitable and kind and respectful while we disagree. And so some of you might know kind of in the way that we've built up to this, that um, Chick takes an affirming position on human sexuality and I take a historic biblical position. Now I'm not, again, you might, people might be critical of even us using those language. Like, so um, uh, there's a way that I'm affirming and there's a way that Chick's definitely biblical. So uh, you'll have to just excuse us for, and be charitable towards us with some of the language that we use by proxy. But I'm, I'm really thankful for an opportunity just for clear conversation and an opportunity for us just to understand each other's position. So Chick and I have agreed on a format for how to go about this. We're going to have some basic questions that we're both going to answer. Then I'm going to give Chick 10 minutes to ask me any question he wants. Um, and then I, I won't add, you can ask me any sports questions if you want to. We were talking about football before this got started. Uh, and then I'll ask Chick uh, I, I, questions I, I for 10 I minutes. I can't ask you sports questions. I don't know anything about American sport. I, uh, I'm, I'm just a soccer man. There, it is. well, yeah, and and I won't ask you any questions in the in the like, so we'll be able to keep moving forward. <laughs> but anyways, you're, you're uh, you have to admit you're you're a Manchester United person, isn't that correct? Indeed, I am. I live in Manchester, and I uh, share a season ticket for Manchester United. So on Saturday, I'll be there. Right. And I should say we're recording this in December, and hopefully this will come out in January. There's other content I'm producing in January, in, in the end of December. So I just felt like I really wanted to focus on Advent and give a little time for this interview and this conversation to be anticipated. Okay, Chick, here we are. So I'm curious, you've come out lately, uh, more very publicly through a conference that was called the Included Conference, where you talked about an affirming stance that you now have. I just am curious how you arrived at this position and why you've chosen to speak out now. Well, the, the reason I, I'll answer the second question first. The reason okay. I've chosen to speak, speak out was that the, the guys who uh, head up included asked me if I would. And of course, they, uh, they, they made reference to the uh, book on soldiership that I wrote back in 1998 or 88, can't remember which now. Um, where I took a very strong stand uh, and said that any uh, homosexual uh, conduct relationship was uh, against nature, it militated against family life, and it was contrary to the clear teaching of scripture. Um, I, I took the usual line that uh, nobody was to be condemned uh, for being homosexual in their orientation, 
but homosexual conduct is, is, and, and relationships are right out. Uh, and these guys said to me, we've got a feeling that you're, uh, your, your, your position and your understanding has, has changed. And indeed it had. And, and really, it, that was really the first time I thought, I, I really got to formulate this. Um, and, and, you know, why, why have I changed? And, and so I, I used very conveniently, though I, some theologians might not feel I used it absolutely accurately, although I, my defense is that even Wesley himself never spoke about the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Correct. Um, but, but for me, it was, it was just a useful, a useful construct. And, and this is how I described it. And I, I'm kind of praising again some of the stuff I said when I uh, spoke in the included sure. conference. Um, my experience today... Uh, had brought me to this point. Now we live in a very average kind of neighborhood. I'm, uh, well, I think there are people from 90 and sorry, 39 different nationalities in our neighborhood. Wow. And there are different faiths and Muslims, Hindus, uh, Jews, obviously Christians like Margaret and me. And of course, in, in a, a neighborhood like this, there are people of, of different sexual orientation. Um, there are people like Liz and Mary and their new baby. Um, now I've got big ethical questions about surrogacy and artificial insemination, but when I see two parents showing their love uh, and bestowing their love on their child, I found myself running across the road to say, hey, your baby looks lovely. One of these uh, women is a doctor, the other is a journalist with the BBC, and you know what? They're not threatening the stability of society. They're just nice people. Then our daughter Katrina, uh, who's in her uh, late 40s now, um, Katrina at the beginning of this year was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Mm. Um, uh, it, was, it was a big deal. I mean, she had fiber surgery. God's been very good to us, great answer to prayer. She's, she's well, she's making good recovery. But during her immediate recovery, uh, her, she said to Margaret, don't you come down, Mum. She lives in London. I'm, I think you're too close to me. It'll be, it'll be too trying for you. And the person who came and looked after her was Gareth. Um, Gareth has looked after both his parents. He looked after his mum until she died. He nursed his dad during illness. And voluntarily, he came and looked after Katrina and did a wonderful job. Gareth is gay. Uh, I remember some years ago, I went to court with a Salvation Army officer who'd been arrested, I'm near a gent's toilet, I'm, and the last 20 years he's been, he's not a Salvation Army officer, but he is in a settled relationship. And I'm much happier that he's in a settled relationship than when he was cruising gent's toilets. And I, that, that took me back even further. When I was a kid at school, I'm talking about when I was 12 through to 15, something like that. There was a lad in our class called James. Uh, James is a little different from the rest of us. Uh, we were kids who wanted to kick a football all day long. We called James the princess because he always wanted to be, if, if we were playing soldiers, he wanted to be the princess that we rescued. Now, I'm not for a minute uh, caricaturing all gay men as, as effeminate, but James certainly was. Right. Um, and we gave, we gave him a bad time. Mm. We gave him a bad time. I still find it hard to talk about this. Yeah. Uh, James became a ladies' hairdresser, very successful ladies' hairdresser, moved over to the States, um, came home one Christmas to see his mum, um, and then went back to Prestwick uh, to catch the plane back to America the next morning, booked into a hotel. And when he ran the bath, 
and sat in the bath and mm. slashed his wrists. Mm. I wonder how much he remembered about what we as kids had said to him. Mm. Um, so my experience has brought me to the point where I, you know, when I wrote that chapter in Battle Orders, I don't think I knew any gay people. I'm sure I didn't. Well, I probably knew some who were gay, but I didn't know they were gay. I, I didn't know any gay. I now know a lot of gay people and they don't seem to be threatening family life. I'm, they're not sex crazy. They're just people who want to live in a settled, loving relationship. And, and I wish for everybody, like, you know, Margaret and I have been married 53 years. Great, wonderful marriage. And I, I don't want to deny anybody that kind of companionship. And, and I, be, I began to think it through then. And this, this, was, this was the thing that was really big for me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, the, the line I'd taken was you, 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 that typical line. There's nothing wrong uh, if you're... Uh, homosexual in orientation, that's just how you are. You just must not give in to it. Well, nine years or so ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Um, and at first it looked like it was really going to be very serious, the kind of thing where you need to put your affairs in order. Actually, it turned out not to be so bad. And here I am nine years later, very well. And since I'm speaking to people in America, do not believe it when people describe our National Health Service as socialized medicine. It's the most wonderful thing in the, in, in the UK. We all pay for it but then we don't pay at the point of need. So the treatment I had, I would still have had if I'd been the poorest man in Britain, right? I want to get that straight because it is a wonderful, wonderful service. Um, uh, but anyhow, no cri I'm not criticizing here. That's a, maybe a future <laughs> podcast. We can talk about the NHS. I know you're not. No, it is. Actually. And I have been accosted on a number of occasions by folk who've said, you're terrible socialized medicine. Oh, okay. Well, we won't go there today. That, that, that's, that's an awful, terrible caricature. Anyhow, yeah. I, I was treated and, and I am well, and, but part of the treatment uh, was you go on hormone therapy, which suppresses your production of uh, testosterone. Right, right. Yeah? So in effect, it makes you impotent, right? right. Now I'm speaking pretty frankly. Now Margaret and I have always had a very full relationship. Yeah. Amen. Uh, Amen. You know, it, it, it's a wonderful, complete, physical, emotional, spiritual relationship. And like most men, I'd always assumed that intimacy meant having sexual intercourse. Well, for 18 months, we didn't and we couldn't because of my treatment. And I learned in a new way what intimacy was. You know, those moments when Margaret just held me and said, it's all right, I still love you. You know, that, that sense of someone who, who was devoted to me. And I thought, what I am saying to my gay friends, lesbian women and homosexual men is, you can't ever have that. I just, I, that is so utterly uncharitable. uncharitable. And I think it was that, that that drove me back to scripture, as the church has often been driven back to scripture. I'm, you know, when, when Darwin formulated um, 
uh, his, his theory of evolution and the church had to go back to scripture. I mean, you, you, can, you can take a position where you say, uh, well, it, 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 any theory of evolution is wrong. Scripture says something different. Or you can look as many devout Christians do. And I'm one of them who say, you know what? Science explains it that way. That's about the how scripture. So, we, you know, you have to go back to scripture. You understand it in a new way. And my experience took me back to scripture as the church has always done. Um, and I had to look again at those texts. And I mean, to, to sum it up very quickly, yeah. um, I don't think St. Paul in Romans 1, when he talks about homosexuality, is talking about the same thing as we do today. For, for Paul, this was a moral choice made by basically heterosexual people but who were just happy to indulge in any kind of sex. When we talk about homosexuality today, we are talking about the very identity of the person. It isn't something they want or something they do. It is as intrinsic to their identity as being a heterosexual male is to me. And, and, and so I, I began to look again at those scripture passages and, and I wanted to see them again through the window of the life and teaching uh, and ministry of Jesus, which is summed up in two words, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. My love for my gay, lesbian, homosexual neighbor meant that I had to say to them, you are accepted as you are. And of course, I, I just want to add now, shut up in a minute, but you know, we live in a church and most of us, I guess, listening to this podcast will be in the evangelical wing of the church. Jesus had some really tough things to say about divorce. I do not know of an evangelical church or a Salvation Army Corps on this side of the Atlantic or on your side of the Atlantic that doesn't have some divorced people. We've managed to deal with that one. We've managed to look and, and interpret scripture. Why can we not do that? For people, because I, I think if I was if I was a, a gay a gay ma man in a long term gay relationship, I think I was being pretty badly treated. When you know the church will accept people who have been divorced, but me and my partner, I'm imagining now, of course, me and my partner have been together faithfully for 25 years. We are not fully accepted. That was a long answer to yeah, a short question, you. Andy. I want to know where you are on this one. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. In oh, those of you who hear Chick talking, you know, you can tell that he is a, a gifted communicator and, you know, kind of in a generation of where my parents and I, I heard Chick speak many times growing up and read, read several of his books. So, you know, he's a well-known person. And, and in the Army as a whole, those of you who are, are my regular listeners who are outside the Salvation Army, uh, there's not many kind of well-known speakers within our system. But Chick is de definitely one of them. And he's, he's a public person, a public intellectual thinker. And so I'm really, again, just again, thank you for coming on. And yeah, go ahead. I will answer and your I question, though. I don't want to interrupt, but I don't think I deserve the description intellectual. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm not that good. Come on. Thinker. Thinker. How about that? That'll there you go. Me. Yeah, that'll do me. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll go back to, to the 90s. You talk about your your book that came out, Battle Orders, which I've used, which you know my, my father used. And I'm going back to 1992, 1993. My parents were transferred to a core where they were leading a Salvation Army church 
on the north side of Chicago. It was the Andersonville core. Unfortunately, it's no longer there. That community had a major transformation. So when we arrived, it was pretty clear we were being put right into a major LGBTQ neighborhood. And that was, and this, so again, this is like the, the early 90s into the mid 90s. This is a time where this is inc incredibly foreign. And it forced my parents to be in a place where there was just very uh, public displays of. LGBT nationalism all around us. Okay, so so we're there, and that was that put us in a unique position of knowing people, maybe even ahead of the sexual revolution of, of how it's like come to be now. Okay, is in that time too where I became a soldier in the Salvation Army. And it was in that time. Now, I don't think at that time we used your book. I don't think we used Battle Orders then. We did later. I I used it later, but we used the Milton Agnew's book, The Um Essentials of Salvationism, or something like that. And that's a key moment for me because in that time, that was where I first went through our articles of faith. And I remember going through, I remember the, the room, I remember the teaching, I remember the book, and going through each of the Salvation Army's 11 articles of faith and then the I will covenantal statements that go along with it. And so as I did that, I, I found something, it, it felt like much, it was beyond me even in understanding it, but I knew there was something rich there. And I remember signing as a 14 year old and knowing that this was a significant commitment. And so I point back to that time because it's the signing of that covenant. The mine's called the Articles of War. It's actually, it's here in my office right now still. And it was, it's been a kind of a gradual move to understand what I signed, to understand the articles of faith and their depths. And that meant coming into conversations with people who didn't share the same sort of Wesleyan evangelical doctrines that I would have on the, the ninth article of faith that deals with eternal security or any host of issues from holiness, then um, to the eternal punishment of the wicked, all these type of things. It's just like was this, this opportunity for me to come into further conversation and dialogue through the years with those articles of faith. Of course, the first article of faith was is the kind of the primary way that we go about understanding how God has revealed himself. And that's the understanding that the scriptures of the Old New Testament are given by inspiration of God, and they only constitute the divine rule of Christian faith and practice. So then as I'm growing up in this generation in 90s, 2000s, going off to college, realizing that my friends were coming out, there was a couple of people I had to come in contact with, and I had to really wrestle with this. Like I had to, do I affirm what I signed when I was 14? I, I mean, do I affirm what the scriptures say? And do the scriptures say that? And so I had to really look at the arguments. Um, books came out that were a, a challenge to me, things like, uh, I think Matthew Vines particularly. And so then I went to Asbury Theological Seminary and I was dealing with these questions. And as I, as I worked through that, what I found, not just on matters of human sexuality in scripture, but I found the Salvation Army's 11 articles of faith to be incredibly rich. And I would find like, okay, I just read 100 pages, and that's kind of summarized in these three words of our articles of faith. I, I found them to be life-giving to me, like in really kind of directing the way I was thinking about how God has revealed himself in the world and my role to play in that. And so as I work, work, work through this, I was dealing with the questions of maybe like some of the well-known scriptures that deal with homosexual practice. But then, and while I was at seminary and after I was married, I had a conversation with Dr. Dennis Kinlaw, several conversations. And this, you might be able to find some of this material in his book, Let's Start With Jesus. And he introduced me to the richness of the nuptial metaphor in scripture. 
And I began to see like what I'm dealing with here. Okay, there's a definite issue with the doctrine of revelation, how God has revealed himself. But then I began to see the issues related to human sexuality as related to the doctrine of creation. And I began to, I began, Dr. Kinlaw introduced me to Pope John Paul II's work on the theology of the body. Um, and then that's become a way that I've understood that this isn't just about a couple of passages, though I'm glad to talk about those things, and perhaps you and I will, but it's this whole picture of Christ, of God's relationship with the world and his creation, and Christ's relationship with the church as exemplified in this beautiful image of the nuptial metaphor that I feel like really guides how we are created, why we're created, why we're created as male and female, and that's uh, added to by um, Jesus's words in Matthew 19, all throughout scripture. And I see a kind of like a, a consistent theme that leads me to trust the history of the church on this subject. And I haven't developed a hermeneutical process to tailor this need. I'm, I want to be here for the truth. Like ultimately, I feel like the reason I'm a salvationist, the reason I'm a Wesleyan is I think it best represents the truth as revealed in scripture if God has, how God has revealed himself. So that's part of like how I've gotten to this place. And so that, and maybe we'll get into more specifics later here, but maybe I could ask you a question now too. So like, just for the sake of clarity, what's your position on same sex relationships? My position on same sex relationships is that there is a minority of people who are homosexual, gay, lesbian, um, LGBT plus, uh, but they are a significant minority. But the, the point I'm making is, and, and I, I don't disagree with you at all on, on that nuptial metaphor. I mean, I, I often, I've often um, preached from, you know, the Ephesians chapter, right. uh, the, 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 the marriage relationship, but, but it's like Christ and his church. I, I you know, I, I don't in any way dissent from that, but, but I am, I am faced with the fact that there are people in our world who are gay, who are, that their identity is such, their physical makeup is such, and I don't know that anybody fully understands all of this stuff, but that they are, they are attracted to people of the opposite sex, and not in some passing phase, uh, but, but it, it is deep, deep within their identity. Uh, now that very that very metaphor that you that, that you present the, the the nuptial metaphor of 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 two people finding in each other uh, a deep unconditional relationship that can even reflect the wonder of 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 the relationship of Christ and his church i think that i have seen that in some committed gay relationships of being now you know it Clearly, the, the, the obvious thing is, is man-woman. I'm, I'm not dissenting from that. I mean, I, I am as heterosexual man as ever was created. I mean, you I made you that know, clear. Yes, I believe you. <laughs> I, I, want you guys, I want you guys to know that. I want to make sure. You, I want you to know. I get it. No, no but the point I'm making is, you know. <laughs> Me too. I, I can't even quite understand how you can be attracted to a person of the same sex. But it is true for many people. And, and. I think in, in that commitment to each other, there can be something of that same reflection of the very nature of, of the created order. Uh, but I, I, live, I, I live with messy 
ends in this. I mean, I haven't got all this tied up where I now have a, a perfect philosophy. I just know that that that, that gay people exist. I'm, I do not want them shut out of the church. I would... I, I have still a problem with the word marriage because I think marriage is so deep in the, there is a male-female thing. But I certainly, if I was asked and it was a committed gay couple, I would pray a blessing on their relationship. Okay. Now, many people would, you know, there are people on that side who say, well, you ain't gone far enough. You're, you're still treating gay people as second-class citizens in the church. But that's where I've got to. And when I did the included talk, I did say, of course, this is still a journey for me. Right, right. I'm not in a settled position. But my, my very understanding of Scripture and my need to see everything in Scripture through the window of the loving, self-giving ministry of Jesus brings me to a position where I've got to say, I do not want gay people to be committed from full fellowship in the church. That's helpful. Yes. Um, so just for clarity before I you know, come back. Uh, so you would, you would be willing to pray, pray a prayer of blessing, but you wouldn't conduct a marriage ceremony? The answer to the first one is, yes, I would pray a prayer of blessing. The answer to the second one is, I'm not sure. You're not, you're, yeah, still the journey. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so for me on the, on the subject, like I would just say, like how I think about same sex sexual relationships is confined to the understanding of scripture. And so I go back to that and I think of Matthew 19, 1 Corinthians 7, and Jesus uplifts a clear view, not just there, of course, as I indicate, like, I feel like this is the big picture of where creation is going. And I'd I highlighted that too, just distinguish a little bit with the complementary nature of the human body. As like Pope John Paul II says, our bodies are a theology in themselves. Like, so our bodies tell a story about the universe. Now that's not saying that everybody lives within like being able to totally express that, but nevertheless, like the complementary nature of the body itself tells us something about God. And so for me, I mean, I mean, just as clear, I'm sure you preach it like this. And I know you even have a book for teenagers on sex. I don't know if I was on a talk where you had this, but, but uh, sexual relationships are restricted for marriage between one man and one woman who are in a committed relationship for life. And then if out, outside of those boundaries, there's singleness and both passages talk about the importance, both passages I highlighted earlier, talk about the importance of singleness and that what requires celibacy. So, I mean, that's kind of like the, the clear, clearest way that I can come on down and that doesn't stop us from, um, and I think, I, I think people who know me know that I've, I was a Salvation Army officer for almost 15 years, and this meant that I encountered people who experienced same-sex attraction, people who are living in same-sex relationships, and never does it stop me from demonstrating clear love, opening the doors of the Salvation Army uh, where, where I serve. But obviously, there are some distinctions that you and I would have about what that means about the type of, of leadership that we enter into. And, and I think that that's a challenge, and we'll get to this when we get to the Salvation Army question in a minute, too. Like, are we being authentic to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters when we talk about preaching the gospel and meeting human needs in Jesus's name without discrimination while holding the positions that we hold. Um, now, did you want to come back before we get to the next question? 
Yeah, because I, I I think you're kind of you're evading the issue a bit. Because okay, you, yeah, I think we got you. you I fully understand that sense of, of of men and women. I mean, that's a, that that's a world in which I've always lived. But I also recognise that we are all a work in progress. We none of us is perfect in our sexuality. Right. None of us. I mean, I, I, I don't want to be indelicate in this conversation. And certainly I'm not setting out to shock people. But I wonder what would happen on a Sunday morning if we said, you know what? We want all the men in this congregation who've masturbated in this week to stand up and seek repentance. Now, there's there are many reasons why we don't do that. But but, you know, that's that. Sure. That's yep. an issue. That's an issue. We, we, we are none of us. I've touched on the issue of divorce. This right, this right. whole thing, you know. Even, even those who embrace heterosexual marriage within the fellowship of the church, right. there is a significant percentage do not live up to that. Mm -hmm. For sure. Right? And I hope and that people know for me to say, like, I'm an equal opportunity critiquer of all sin. And I think we'll get into that. Maybe this is a good way to transition to this, too, is to think of the nature of sin and how we describe that. And so I would want to, like, I would call that, I've called those type of things out, particularly more in a pastoral care way more of one-on-one -on -one in my office. But whenever I've preached on the subject, I don't just talk about um, same-sex relationships. Like I want to talk about the whole gamut and also show the areas where the, the church as a whole has failed in this regard. So I, I'm with you. And I understand um, uh, maybe we can get, maybe a little bit later, we can get into the divorce question too. Um, I'm not trying to avoid that. But let me let me come in. I know we agreed that we wouldn't interrupt each other, but goodness me, it's a proper conversation. We're, I got you. No, it's good. It's good. And we're inter we're interrupting each other in love and charity. See, I think Shoot. you've identified for me one of the one of the big issues that, that that's that's moved for me. And you said, and you you're right to say, you know, you, you're not choosy about the sins you preach against. But see, for me, the very fact of saying if you are in a homosexual relationship, a gay relationship, that is sin. I see you, I cannot any longer say that to my gay friends because, you know, that intimacy that I was longing for, that everything within me called out for and that Margaret gave to me, I am depriving my, my, my gay brothers and sisters in that if I say, if you have any physical contact, even within a long-term committed relationship, even within that, that is sinful. Now, I no longer hold to that position. I'm promiscuous gay relationships, that's sinful, as promiscuous heterosexual relationships are sinful. Yeah. But to say to a person, you know, to two people who've lived together for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, everything you do is a sin. I do not hold to that. I hear I you. I know. I, I get that. That's where you are. And and so and, and I'm you know glad to hear some of that to a certain. I'd like to ask a follow up question on that in a second. But it does get me to a plate and I will. So what we agreed to, folks, just a little break here. Uh, we did agree that we would um, we have a, a couple of questions to base the conversation. I and mean, this is right in line with that. But then we're going to take 10 minutes each where Chick can ask me anything he wants and I'll ask him anything he wants. And so I think I'll try to get there. Um, uh, a little bit later, but you brought up the question of sin, and this might be a good way for us to think about uh, the 11 articles of faith. So I'm just curious, like where you stand in relation to 
um, a, a doctrine of sin is. It's articulated in our fifth article of faith. And, and those of you who are outside the Salvation Army, and you could read these uh, 11 articles. You could just Google Salvation Army doctrines, and you could find them. But our fifth article says we believe that our first parents were created in a state of innocency. That, um, well, I won't go through the whole thing. But, like, I'm just curious. After now, like you're you're in your 70s, you served for more than 30 years as a Salvation Army officer. We're both like um, resigned our Salvation Army officership, but I'm um, just curious, like where you stand on our articles of faith, and particularly as it relates to human sexuality. Right. Well, uh, let, let let me come a step before human sexuality. I'm yeah. the uh, Paul's word: all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm. Right. Right. Uh, we all fall short of what we should be. And we are all sinners. So gay people, heterosexual people, we are all sinners. If you're asking what constitutes a sin, I mean, you can, you can do the debate between um, Wesley and a, a more conservative position. Um, you know, sin is, is any contravention of God's will. Um, Wesley's narrower definition that sin is any contravention of the known will of God. I'm... Um, and I think, that, you know, for, that's where I want to say for my uh, gay brothers and sisters um, that to be living in a loving relationship where love is given and love is received unconditionally, I cannot call that a contravention of the will of God. I'm, each of us gives and lives the best we can by God's grace and with the help of his spirit. I, I find it much harder to draw a line. I used, to, I used to know who were saved and who were not saved. I knew it all. The older I get, yeah. the more certain I am about fewer and fewer things. So, you know, it, who, who, is, who is a sinner and who is saved? We are all a work in progress. We are all either moving further away from Jesus or drawing a little closer. Mm. I'm... For me, it is not a rigid thing any longer. You know, the, I mean, there are some things that are so obviously wrong. If, if I murder my grandmother, there's no debate about whether that's sin or not. But, but when you get into the area of, of relationships, of human interdependency, we, we all hurt each other. You know, I, I've been married, like I said, 53 years. I love Margaret passionately. Sometimes I have hurt her. Sometimes when I didn't even realize I was hurting her, I, I'm clumsy sure. for goodness sake. Uh, so I think that, you know, trying, trying to pin me down there uh, to a, 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 a narrow definition of sin as it applies to, uh, to, 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 to sexual relationships. For me, all sexual relationships honor God if they take place within a loving, committed relationship yeah. in which I am seeking to honor the other person and to honor God in honoring that other person. Yeah. And maybe we'll have time to get into some more of that later. It's, it's interesting. Like, and, and I, I, some people who are listening to this are frustrated that you're saying that from uh, the <laughs> LGBTQ side. And I imagine you've heard some of that too, that you keep on emphasizing this, you know, loving, committed relationship side. <laughs> Because there's a way that that goes against some of the internal logic of even the letters LGBTQ. So, like, we'll, I, I, I want to get there. Like, but I, as as far as like um, 
I think it's helpful for us to think through this, like in relation to how God has revealed himself for me, like beginning with the first article of faith, moving all the way. I mean, I think you could talk about human sexuality in every article, and you could even talk about the nature of the dual natures of Christ, the way that Christ redeems humanity by stepping into human flesh, certainly our understanding of sin. And I think that you and I probably are pretty close there, but we might define something, how we get to sin differently, a willful transgression to a known law of God. Or if I, I like having a simple definition, any area of our life where we reject God's presence. And to me, when we step outside of God's revelation in scripture, when we, when we move against that, and, and to me, the clear teaching of scripture from the beginning to the end states a monologue on the issues of human sexuality as it relates to same-sex behavior. So as I, as I work through that, and as I like think about the fact that God has put this into the very structure of the universe, I hold myself like ultimately to what God has said in scripture. And, and here's, like, I know you brought up some things and if people wanna go back to your included talk. I think that, that that's helpful for me kind of, it, now existing in the academy and no longer in the army, even though I attend the Salvation Army as my home church, um, the academy is not divided necessarily on the fact that scripture speaks clearly about uh, same-sex behavior. Now, that, this is where I would disagree with one of the points of your talk. Like even liberal scholars, and I use liberal, like I think people know what I mean. So uh, like, for instance, Bill Loader, Australian New Testament scholar, people would see him as an expert on sexuality in the ancient world. I mean, he says very clearly that that uh, Jesus would have been against same-sex uh, behavior, Paul, obviously, and then obviously in the Old Testament as well. But what he says, so he says that very clearly, and most people who are trained scholars in the field would assume that to be the case. Yeah. But what they say is they disagree with Scripture. They just, so, so they move from that in a different way. So that's, and I'll just finish here. So, so for me, if I was to go through all of scripture, I have a sin. Uh, also then, of course, the, the key relationship, I look at doctrine nine, continuance in the state of salvation depends on continued obedient faith. This relationship that we have with the triune God as he engages us and calls us to himself and brings us to a deeper relationship, leading to doctrine 10 with our call to holiness, all of these things. And then ultimately, I think even, I think our 11th article of faith that talks about the, our, it's our eschatology as such also represents our anthropology, that we are people created a body and soul. Uh, there'll be a resurrection of our bodies. There's the immortality of the soul. There'll be judgment at the end of the world. There's the eternal happiness of the righteous. And I always wish those two were flipped, but the endless punishment of the wicked, like these, this is a part of the reality that's been revealed to us through scripture. So I think that's, that's my foundation there. Um, okay, I'm gonna move on to the next question. And I really want to get here because this, this is what people are paying for. And nobody's paying for this. But um, what do you think about the Salvation Army and the future of the Salvation Army with references? Can we be one Salvation Army where you've said, um, I think you said in your talk at, in, in a conversation with me, that you think a majority of Salvationists in the UK would have an affirming position like you. And I've said recently on my podcast that I think probably 80%. Now, again, neither of this is empirical, yours nor mine. Uh, um <clears throat> I would think that 80% in the United States of those who call the Salvation Army their church home would be in a conservative position. Maybe that's wrong, and maybe your numbers are wrong. I mean, we're not social scientists. But um, I, I was curious, like, what you think, how can the Salvation Army be one with our diverse views? 
Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. First of all, I, I want to just pick up on something. You made a point very, very strongly, and I, I just want to pick up on it. Okay, you said okay. that, that Jesus and Paul would, would have been against homosexual conduct. I don't, don't doubt that for a minute. My whole point is they were not talking about what we are talking about. No, they were talking about a moral choice to do something wrong. Uh, heterosexual people. Um, uh, I, we are now talking when we talk about somebody being gay, about their very identity, the way their physicality, their whole makeup is. And I think that's that's a, a dividing line there. No, you're throwing just real quick. Let me just come back to you and say, like, in general, I just say the scholarly community, like the New Testament scholars yeah. would affirm that, that that's what Jesus that yeah. like based upon the culture it was like and you said something in your other talk like well they wouldn't have meant that then and i hear you saying well it's a moral choice about the, our identity hopefully we can talk about that more okay back to my question about the army okay well yeah first of all i have to preface this by saying i am very very careful and restrained yes. in any comments i make about the salvation army sure um i am still a salvationist margaret and i are still soldiers Though we worship at another church because I was the divisional commander in this area, and I think attending a Salvation Army Corps as a divisional commander who resigned could make things difficult for some people, and I don't ever want to do that. So we we uh, although most most weeks I'm on the road preaching anyhow, so it doesn't actually matter a great deal. Um, but I think uh, I think every denomination is struggling with yes, this. Yes. Um, it, it will be, let, let, let me move it from the Salvation Army sure. to, to the Anglican Church. You know, I'm, I think most Anglicans in the UK I'm, would, would take a similar position to, to what I'm taking, but the, the Anglican Church in Africa will have a very different position. How do you hold it together? Well, I think one of the ways is by a discussion like this. I'm assuming that by the end of this, I'm, well, I know that I will not be dismissing you and saying, well, you are not a proper Christian because of that. Right. And I don't think you will dismiss me. You might disagree with me. Uh, in fact, you do disagree with me. But I, I think it is a little bit like, and again, I don't mean to be indelicate, but the answer to the question, how do porcupines make love? And the answer is very slowly and very carefully. Um, and I think how we are going to resolve this one is very slowly and very carefully and with much tolerance, um, with much understanding, uh, and with a sense for all of us, I think, this is not just my position, but none of us are quite, you know, scripture says it and that's it settled. It is not that simple. Scripture, I had a bacon sandwich for my breakfast. Scripture tells me that that's wrong. Um, so, uh, you know, scripture tells me that we should not wear clothing of two different threads or materials or whatever. We, we don't hold to that. Now, let, let me quote you one, one profound example that I think is relevant to this. And you're going to, as I bat it, as I bowl it across, you're going to bat it back, I know. But, you know, there's Peter on the roof um, when he has this vision of the, of the sheep being lowered down, taken eat. And Peter says, Peter starts to argue theology with God when he said, no. I won't eat anything that's unclean. And actually, Peter had scripture on his side because that's what scripture told him. For that time and place, that was that was obviously, I think, related to the, the, the identity and the spiritual purity of the Jewish people. But here is Peter in a different time. I'm um, having to deliver the... It was, it was as shocking a thing 
for those early Jewish believers to accept that Gentiles, uncircumcised Gentiles, could be accepted into full fellowship in the church, it was as shocking at least as it is for many of us to realize that the Spirit may be nudging us not away from Scripture, but to understand Scripture, interpret it from a different angle. I'm, I'm probably not expressing that as well as I would do if I had time to write out my words here, but, but I think it's clear what I'm saying. I'm, the Spirit will lead us, uh, and it will not simply be a reiteration of, 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 it will not simply be a reiteration of Scripture. I mean, somebody once said, if you've got Scripture alone, that's, that's death. If you follow the Spirit only, that's dangerous. If you bring them both together, you, you have dynamite, dunamis in the best sense. And I think, how are we going to resolve this? By, by responding to the Spirit, digging in the Word, checking the Word together. And I think in the end, we will still hold different positions as we do still. We will always hold different positions. The big question is, how important is Jesus to us? How passionate are we about knowing Jesus and living according to his spirit? Um, is this sustainable? I mean, uh, for, for uh, the Anglican Church, the Salvation Army, um, the United Methodist Church, which I know is different in the, the UK, but that, maybe it, maybe get a little more focused there. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't know is the honest answer. Yeah, I think, I think sometimes the honorable thing to do is to part company. The church we actually attend right, is, right. Is, is a Baptist church. And I attended a church meeting the other week. And it was about, they had separated from a network with which they'd been involved because this network would not accept women. as They would accept them as secondary leaders. But when it came to the issue of could a woman be the senior leader, they said, no, we will never accept that. So they parted company. Now I'm sitting there thinking, for goodness sake, What's that all about? Because, you know, we resolved this years ago. But, but the pastor who was telling it to us, his tears were streaming down his cheeks. Because, you know, a network, a group of churches to which he belonged, they could not hold it together. And I think there will have to be some, you know, uh, again, I'm so reluctant to, to tell the yeah. army what to do. You, you hope people sense that. But yeah. Yeah. I do not think it will any longer be possible for in, an international leader to say, you must do that in that country and that in that country, and, and there will be no divergence. There is already significant divergence. Right, right. right. And, and we're, be, we're being dishonest if we don't acknowledge that. Uh, I appreciate you saying that. Um, is it all right if I address the same question? Yeah, please. Yeah. Um, it's your yeah. show. Oh, well, thank you. I, I, I guess I guess I should have said that. Yeah. And, and I know I reckon I, I really want this to be a conversation. This isn't just an interview with yeah. Chick. And I like I recognize that because it's my show and I'll publish it in January. It's kind of like, but I'm not going to edit it. You know, there's already some things I'm like, oh, I wish I could have said that clear, but it is what it is, you know. So I'm thankful for the opportunity to talk, talk about this, too, with the Army's future. And I think you're right. That's what that's where I think. And, and so I, I've said. I think, and, and I'm very cautious too. Um, at the same time, like I have a thorough commitment 
to the army. And even though I left, it wasn't, and I think you're the same way. There wasn't bitterness in leaving. There's a God was clearly opening up a door for, for me to leave yeah. officership, but yet retain an interest in, in the Salvation Army, particularly like developing and using other skills that I have and other callings God's given me. Okay, so like how I think about this is I think we're at a place where there's accountability or division is required. And so I think you might kind of land on the division side if I had to say that, but my, my sense is, is like we, as you said, there's already mixed messages across the army world. No, no, no. I could very easily say all of this and say the same thing within the United Methodist Church, which I'm very close to United Methodist Church. My wife grew up in Methodist. Here I work at Wesley Biblical Seminary. I'm training United Methodists on a regular basis, and they're dealing with this fact of like what's going to happen. What's interesting is as the United Methodist Church, which is a global group, but it, it's like its conferences are different. They have a central conference, which compromises Africa, um, the Philippines, and a few other countries. Um, there was a suggestion for them. Like they, they realized they've been going over this for 40 years. I think the Salvation Army's really just started the last five or 10 years, really having these conversations, which is unfortunate. But nevertheless, when they got to a place where they realized they needed some sort of amicable break, there was a group that said, all right, we just need to go all out liberal in every possible way. Then there was a group that said, no, let's have a one, they called the one church plan where everybody can basically believe what they want, which isn't going to be satisfying to anybody. Then there was another group that said, well, let's break up in the four different groups and we all have a historical connection. And then there was a conservative plan, which is um, where the, where the church, church breaks into at least two different groups and a global Methodist church emerges. Well, I, th I think that in light of the mixed messages that have been sent, the, the leadership of the Salvation Army internationally um, and, and as commissioners work together need to come to a place to say we either are or we're not affirming of same-sex relationships in the sense of like uh, same-sex behavior and all of the things that go along with that. So, and I know I'm, I'm not being clear at that moment. So I, I think that, that it's to that point. It's either we have to hold that line or we have to decide we're going to divide. Now, I'm not promoting a plan for doing that. Um, but th that's where I think we're, unfortunately, where we've come to on this. You want to yeah. say anything more about that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to betray confidences, but I know that even at senior leadership level, there are very different opinions. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And if people are going to be true to themselves and true to where they feel God is leading them, at some point they're going to have to say that. And, you know, I, you, you can't have a kind of cabinet, uh, you know, everybody pretends they agree when, when, when they don't agree. Sure. That, 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 that is ultimately unhealthy and dishonest. And, and I don't know any other way around it than saying that there are different opinions here. And the best we can do is to say, we respect that people are obeying what they believe, where they believe God is leading them. We may think they are profoundly wrong, but... Uh, yeah. I hear you. I think it's going to a place where we're going into two different places. Like, and this is where, where I think you and I diverge a little bit. And you can correct me if you think I'm wrong here. It's like, I think that this to me is rooted in the articles of faith. Like we all, like I talked about, I signed that in 1994 when I was 14 years old, signed that those articles of war. And I'm okay with the fact that I have friends, loved ones, family members who have moved away from the Articles of Faith. Like maybe they don't affirm a certain document and they're no longer in the Salvation Army. I think that's okay. Like it's a free free country, free world. You can do what you want. Um, 
but at some point, somebody has diverted from the teaching of church, uh, scripture as confirmed through 2000 years of church history until just very recently, until just very recently, like this has been the church's teaching. And as we're making that move, there is a, so if somebody's in senior leadership and doesn't agree, well, I'm, I would, and I, I've said this to people and I've, I say it in all, all love. I'm not really trying to hurt anybody by saying it. So please excuse me if it comes across that way, but you're the one who's moved and that's okay. But we can't be the same organization and still try and just say, well, it's okay to agree to disagree. I'm not saying that's exactly what you're saying, but I've heard people say that um, around the world. Yeah, I, I think what I would disagree is, and I, I have no problem with the, with the Articles of Faith of the Salvation Army, no, no, none at all. Uh, but I don't think it is, uh, it, it is a functional doctrine, uh, set of doctrines for a mission movement um, that, that reflects very much its time. I don't see it as such being an all-encompassing uh, body of, of doctrines as, as, as you would suggest. You know, it says nothing about uh, things that the rest of the church hold very dear, I'm um, the importance of baptism or sure, sure. union. So I think you can't to, to say um, that gives us all we need. And, and if we're true to that, we, we'll take your position. And if we're not true to that, you'll end up with guys like me. I, I, I do think that's that's a bit of sleight of hand. It is not that simple. In fact, the Articles of Doctrine says nothing about sexuality. I, I accept your thing about you know the 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 the, the nuptial metaphor but, but but it actually says well that's that's a later edition the actual articles of war and that statement of it says it says nothing about that now i'm not saying it's right or wrong i'm just saying where it's at and i yeah. think you're putting more weight on the the articles of war than they will actually carry Certainly, I'm putting an emphasis on the Articles of Faith and the Covenant, the Soldier's Covenant, and I'm putting an emphasis on Scripture. And so, like, that's that's no doubt about it. So if I'm going to guilty as charged, that's me. And so, like, I think there's no way of understanding the words, I will uphold the sanctity of marriage and family life. You'd have to strip them of all of their meaning and reinterpret them to understand it to affirm um, LGBTQ relationships. In okay, so – yeah. So, so you're not referring to the Articles of War. You're you're, you're referring to a a, a later gloss. Um, the Soldier's uh, which, Covenant that I signed. Okay, which which is which is a little different from what I thought you were saying. Oh, okay, I, yeah. So so I kind of put as a now again. I don't take this because I don't take truth from the Articles of Faith or my Soldier's Covenant and say okay now everything comes to that. I feel like I've arrived at truth and I'm trying to get there. As you said, a journey of discerning the reality of scripture, how God has spoken in time and space. And I believe that that's most clearly expressed through the authority of scripture. And I think the Salvation Army does a great job in those articles of faith. I'm disappointed with our policies, but those statements I think represent, this is the only thing, Chick, I believe that unites us. Like, you know, you've been around the, the Salvation Army world and the global church. I mean, there's all kinds of differences. I mean, if and I'm coming to Manchester in June, I'm hoping to have a meal with you and Margaret. And when I do, like, I'm going to learn all kinds of interesting things about Manchester United and and how or how the church expresses itself and all kinds of interesting things. But there is something that unites every salvation. It's a million plus of us, and that's the Soldier's Covenant. So yeah. I guess, yeah, that's that's I, I I am guilty as charged. That's what I hold. Yeah, well, that, 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 that's a sneaky way out of it because there are people within the ranks of the Salvation Army uh, 
often holding local officership positions, who have been guilty of infidelity in their marriage. Sure. sure. And we we say that by the grace of God, you are now accepted. Um, there, there, there are people within our rights who, who are on their second and third and even some on their fourth marriage. Now, I'm not yeah. setting out to condemn them. I'm just saying that seems to me a little bit unfair to say that that's fine. They can be fully accepted in full fellowship. Yes, yes, yes. If you happen to be two gay men right, who right. have lived together and loved each other for 20 years, you can't. Now, come on. Yeah, That's yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll give you a 10 second answer to that. And then I'm going to give you the 10 minutes that I promise you to ask me questions. And maybe you can put it in there. But my, 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 my 10 second response is that those, uh, those relationships uh, are continuing in a state of moving away from what scripture requires. But if somebody has stepped out, like, for instance, the same thing could be with somebody who's cohabitating, like, okay. I would speak against that. I would pastorally advise against that. I would there would be church discipline that would come into place if cohabitation was happening. But it's not wrong for them to get married. It's not wrong for somebody to say it's moving in the direction of what God has required. I think that that's the point that's to be made. And and with oh, I won't talk about divorce right now. But go ahead. I, you get you get ten minutes. I'm gonna set the timer. I, I won't I won't I won't hold you. You get ten minutes. Do you still have time to do this? I can do this. Okay. So. Yeah. 10 minutes of questions you could ask me, uh, ask me, and then I'll get 10 minutes of questions for you. Well, I think the obvious one to ask you is with this profound devotion to the soldier's covenant, and I hugely respect that. Um, I hugely respect it, and I, I have not I've moved away from it in my own personal life. I mean, you know, today people sometimes say to me, oh, do you drink? As if I would suddenly start drinking alcohol. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very comfortable there. But I do wonder why you've moved away from officership um because that that just seems an interesting one if if that is so such an anchor point for you you're kind of sailing in a different ocean yeah well i mean that's a personal question i'm glad to answer it thank you for asking and of course you and i could probably have a nice long talk about some of the things about uh no longer being salvation army officers i was a sixth generation salvation army officer I'm still a sixth generation salvationist. My kids are seventh generation. So uh, I, yeah, I wasn't seeking to leave. I mean, certainly people know me. Like I'm, I, I think I'm a, a little bit like you, willing to speak out. I was willing to speak out as a Salvation Army officer about things that I, I held to be true. I wrote, I've written you know, articles and books, and I've been somebody who wants to be clear. But that's not why I left. I didn't leave because the Army had done anything to me. Honestly, like I just believe firmly that God was calling me to, uh, I believe that as God could call me into officership, he could also call me out of Salvation Army officership. And uh, so just my own testimony at this, a little over a year ago, when the president of Wesley Biblical Seminary came to me and offered me this job, I didn't, I didn't apply for it. I didn't even, I wasn't even, you know, looking to make this type of move. I said no to him right away. And I recommended three other people who I thought could do a good job. I didn't think I was qualified for this job. Um, I serve as the academic dean, and then I'm a professor as well. Um, and so as I kind of worked through it, I said no. And then Abby agreed with me. And two weeks later, we both just sensed the spirit leading us to say, well, maybe we need to reconsider this. Maybe we just need to think about it. And so I called mentors and friends, and immediately mentors and friends inside and outside of the Salvation Army said, you need to reconsider this. And just a series of events led, led us to see that the door was swinging wide open. And as such, like I just felt like 
it would be disobedient for me not to respond. And now I see how God's opened up doors, maybe through this podcast, some speaking, writing, scholarly work that I'm doing on William Booth's Ecclesiology, that God's given me an opportunity to still serve the Salvation Army as a non-officer. In, in the United States, and th this might be helpful to check for your, some of the folks in your audience, um, there's not a, a concept of seconded ministry. Um, if there was a way for me to serve as an officer at Wesley Biblical Seminary, I would. But that's just not really within the policies of the Savage Army in the United States. Yeah, and I, I didn't ask that question to kind of find out something or embarrass oh, no. you. Yeah. And I, I hope I didn't do that in any way. But but the, I, I mean, what, what I was trying to get at is, is what you really said to me is that, that you know, when we signed um, articles of war and yes, when we yes. signed our officer's covenant, oh, okay. made, you know, we signed a statement about for life forever right, right which is a yeah. statement you know i'm, I'm no uncomfortable I'm, i always say there are no only two things to which i will give an absolute lifetime commitment one is right. to be a follower of jesus the other is to be married to margaret everything else has i don't sit lightly to right but, right but, you know, but but the point i wanted to, to, to i think of, i got you right oh, go, go ahead finish your question i, I think said, i know the, the point i wanted to get to was that that sometimes the spirit leads us in ways that were unexpected. Right, I mean, right, I, right. One of the, I never in my life imagined that I would be anything other than a Salvation Army officer. Here I am. Equally, I never in my life imagined sure, I'd sure. be any other place than making the kind of statements that you have been making on uh, heterosexual marriage as being the only thing that's acceptable and that uh, a, a, a gay relationship is per se in itself sinful. I cannot any longer do that because of my conscience and what I believe to be the leadings of the spirit. And I know this is dangerous territory. I know I'm, I'm just putting my head to be shot at, but where I believe Jesus himself would take me. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, I, I love what you're asking. And I really appreciate you thinking of it and helping me think through this. I just want to articulate like how I think about the officer's covenant. And this is, I think if, and I, I don't have it right around me. I can't, can't, I'm sorry. I wasn't one of the ones who memorized that. I, I have all the, the doctrines memorized, but I don't have that memorized. But to me, there's nothing in the, the officer's covenant that I'm not fulfilling now. Now, there is that document. I don't know how it worked for you. The orders and undertakings, which said all kinds of things about all the things I could buy and not buy and all of my time belonging to the Salvation Army, all that. I don't, I, they, actually, I don't have that document. I was never given back to me. So I don't know what that says. So I think there's a difference between the orders and undertakings, which I really didn't know what I was signing there. Um, that's a legal document and the officer's covenant. Now, this, this would be a little funny, but I would think that I am, I am still fulfilling the officer's covenant. If you look at that language, like serve the poor, preach the gospel, all that sort of stuff. And I, I want to fulfill that. So I, my family goes to the, the shelter in addition to the core on a Sunday morning to make sure we're serving the poor. Like we want to be there. Now, the other thing I want to say too, is like, as far as the movement, everything I do, like, I feel like what I'm doing is consistent with what I see in scripture. Everything goes back through the lens of scripture, which is a foundation for my life. And I see that articulated well in the first article of faith too. So like, if it, indeed scripture is the rule of my life, the divine rule of Christian faith and practice, the decision I made to move away from salvation officership. And I really feel like the, the movement of the spirit isn't inconsistent with scripture. And so what I'm suggesting is that your move, and I say this in love, and I hopefully can say it over coffee in a couple of months, that your move does move against scripture. And so that's, that's ultimately like, kind of like the, the crux of our difference. And so I, I think it's really a good point that you made in asking me that question. 
And uh, yeah, and I think you give me the opportunity to say, and this is kind of lurked underneath our discussion. Um, I, I, and and th this is a simplification of your position, and I apologize for that. It, if it sounds insulting, please dismiss that as my clumsiness. But I, you know, I no longer see scripture as the maker's rule book. It is I, the great unfolding story of, of God's uh, creation, uh, and, and of his, his, his sending of his son and the ultimate plan to restore all creation. You cannot just plop bits out of it. You know, there's so many of the rules that neither you nor I nor anybody else listening to us obeys. In right, script. right, right. So I have I, a response I, to that too, yeah. And Yeah, and I, I think you can push that one way too hard. I need to live within the story of scripture. Right. And within the story of scripture means trying to live like Jesus lived accepting those who are despised and shut out. And just as he raised up the woman uh, uh, taken in adultery, and uh, just as Peter had to reach out to the Gentiles, I am not willing to say there is one group of people uh, who, because of the way their bodies are made, and they have every right to say to me, well, surely this is how God made me, um, then I am not going to shut them out of the fellowship of the church. Yeah. So one key distinction, and I'll just point people back to both of our talks. So you had a 45 minute talk uh, included, and I had about a 40 minute response to you where I talked through the issues of scripture, how you've talked about the Old Testament, the rule the, my big, my, my not complaint, disagreement, uh, Chick, with you is the way you interpret the first article of faith is like you, you repeatedly go back to it. I'll say, and I mean, this is all like, I'm not trying to be, be uh, derogatory or anyways, I think it's too, uh, too simplistic way of looking at the words, the divine rule of Christian faith and practice. It's not, and I'm ne I've never suggested the Bible is just a rule book. I like Kevin Van Hooser's words that it's more of a, a playbook for how we live and, and act in the mission of God. Um, the divine rule is connected to this broader concept of the norms of our faith and how we go about thinking about how God's revealed himself and that the scripture itself becomes the kind of the ruler, like a, like, a, like a ruler that you have where you draw a straight line. That's the sense of the, the words divine rule, not rule books. But I mean, people, people can go back to my response where I talk about moral ceremonial and civil laws, about interpreting things from the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. Um, so yeah, okay. I'm just, I'm just saying, I, I'm, I'm not unhappy with that. Um, I, I like the playbook thing. I like the sense of a, of, of a ruler. Um, but but the ultimate the, the, the ultimate teaching of the playbook, the ultimate tactic uh, is to be like Jesus. Um, and I'm going to say this, and this will get me shot down by some people. The living word Jesus, when there is a clash in my mind, the living word trumps the written word. So, so I would think that Jesus doesn't do anything inconsistent with what he has revealed through scripture. I think that, that's where I would fall on that. And, and I think, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. Okay, let's look at what Jesus said in Matthew 19 about the nature of marriage. So, okay, your 10 minutes are up for me. I got 10 minutes with you now. I'm setting the timer. Okay, so could you just define for me like what you think, what is marriage? Marriage is a lifelong commitment between two people. It is often initiated by falling in love, which is a wonderful thing, but it is not about being in love. 
uh, when I used to do talks to young people, I would uh, and talk about a good marriage. I would talk about uh, in a marriage, uh, and they 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 would perk up at this point. You make love from morning to night, but you do make love in the fullest sense of that. You create love between you. Marriage is 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 a deep companionship, uh, and and we've picked up on this that reflects the the relationship of Christ and His Church. And I believe it is, and, and I'm, go, I'm going to come, move a bit here. It is perfectly reflect. no, it is never perfectly reflected for human beings, but it is best reflected in a lifelong marriage between one man and one woman. Yeah. Okay. Best reflected. And, one man, one woman. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You, so you're saying that that's, it's best reflected there, but there's something else. Keep going. Yeah, I'm sorry to but, interrupt. But, uh, but so... That, that, that's the essence of marriage. And of course, it is, it is related to procreation, the bringing right. up of children and the fear and admonition of the Lord. Um, but I accept that there are lesser versions of marriage. And again, I, I'll upset some people on the other side when I I'm say sure this. I'm sure you will, yeah. You know, that, that there are lesser versions of marriage. If I had divorced Margaret, if I'd had an affair, repented and married again, my marriage would be a genuine marriage, but it is less than that full thing that it was called to be alive. You know, for me, every divorce is a tragedy. Now, yes. it's, not, it's not a tragedy at which people need to stop. And I, I fully accept remarriage. You know, I, I do. I'm, right, right. I'm, I'm much less comfortable about it if, if it's marrying, you know, there's been a adultery between two people. But, but right, I do right. accept the remarriage happens. But, but, but that is less than what God would have perfectly wanted. So I'm going to stay on the ground that I believe the, a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman is God's best picture of marriage. Right, but I right. do accept that we live in a fallen world. And yeah, in a fallen yeah. world, there, there is divorce. In, in a fallen world, um, th th there are people who say, my, my whole identity is not geared up like that. Yeah, and, I yeah. and I also accept that my own marriage is less than the perfect best. I haven't always been the perfect husband. Right. Um, right. So I, I- This is good. We, I really like this, Chick. I think, oh, it, am I interrupted? Did I interrupt you too much at that moment? No, interrupt Okay, yeah. Okay, so I, I just really want, I just want people, I know on social media, I hope people, if, as you're seeing this, I should have said this at the beginning, you don't come across and say, well, Andy is just a homophobic bit, bigot and that chick is a Bible denier. I mean, just be, be kind to, to us and your responses on social media, if you will. I think there's something interesting here and I, I, I'm going to joke. This is a joke, okay? I think based upon what you said there, I think there's hope chick for you. <laughs> and so uh, I love I love that there's this this still this respect for the reality of one man and one woman, but yet you're willing to diverge from that based upon divorce and maybe based upon a few other ideas of thinking like, okay, so this isn't what God's best is for somebody. So I'm willing to have room for that. Here's the thing is I want to pull you back and I want to ask a question about the nature of identity. So much of this is connected and you've brought this up many times and maybe I haven't given you the fullest response that if we would have had three hours, I could have. But as we think about the identity question, there are some people who see their identity wrapped up in the fact that they are called, and this is like, there are people in, in my city that are like, the, uh, to live with two wives, to have, uh, to exist as a thruple. There, this has been, uh, there, there are people, of course, and this isn't like me using a scare tactic at all, but people who look at pedophilia and want to readjust that to call it, minority, the minority attractive persons. Of course, LGB, 
bisexual. Now, that doesn't, I know that doesn't necessarily mean that people are living, expressing their sexuality with, with both sexes, but there is that kind of uh, idea that's within it, that it's not something that is a monogamous, canonous relationship. So how do, and, and they would say, this is my identity. And then there's asexual people. I mean, like, I, I hear that too. And like, we're trying to work through all of that. But if people are saying their identity is such that they feel called to have two husbands, I mean, how can you stop that? That's their identity, Chick. Yeah, what, what, words are slippery things here. And, and the, the, but there is a difference. Let, let me come at it like this. Um, you know, I, I am heterosexual man. I think I've said that before. I think you have. I think I, I, hope, I hope my wife knows that I'm saying the same thing. You know, I, I, I too am a heterosexual man and I'm in a loving, wonderful, fulfilling relationship. I just want, I want to at least balance out there with you, Chick. Shut, shut up, Andy. No, <laughs> but, but, but no, it's a really serious point. I am not yeah. a naturally monogamous man. Okay. And I don't think most men are. Okay. You know, and, and that's how I have often said this to people when talking about marriage. You know, don't fall for that old trick. You'll only ever be attracted to one woman. If that's the case, you probably need to see a doctor. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. you're morally bad. You know, that that's just... But when I talk about identity in the sense of, of a gay person, uh, it is so much, you, you know, that... that to, 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 to compare somebody living with, with, with two wives or whatever, with, with, with the, the gay person who is desperately sad, desperately lonely, because they are denying something so intrinsic to themselves, I think to say to them, that's where you end up, that's all we can offer you, is in the end, unchristlike. Hmm. I, I, I think it, I think it's unkind. I think it, it's. Well, I'm not saying that. I don't know if you think I'm saying. I'm just say, saying that if somebody finds their identity in expressing their sexuality with somebody of the same sex, there are people who suggest. And I'm not saying that everybody who's there would go this route, but there are people who say, "I find my identity in ex expressing my sexuality with two women." Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I, I think there's a slight of hand there. I, I don't think it's the same thing. I'm. I think it's that thing that. That in me, I'm not naturally monogamous, but my sexuality can be fully expressed in in my marriage. Um, and everybody's sexuality has to be restrained. We don't give, um, you know, we don't do whatever we want. We we love restrains our sexuality. It becomes the the, the conduit through which it flows, and that conduit also restrains it. So I, I think you know that's we're kind of mixing analogies yeah. a bit here. But, well, but the reason I, think, I bring it up is I think that your I think that your argument, um, if if you took the template of your argument, how you interacted with people in your neighborhood, the person who in, helped your daughter, and then the way that you evaluate scripture based upon experience, then like if you were to take that same template and put it over a thruple, um, I think you you could come to the same place. It's like a, it's a reasonable conclusion. I see you shaking your head, and I just acknowledge that we disagree there. So that's fine. Yeah, I, One I, more question for me, and then I no, I, I think. I, I, I'm just going to say first that I think it's an unreasonable conclusion. I don't think it's a reasonable conclusion. Well, I think it's I, what I was saying is reasonable is for us to disagree. And I want to give you a chance. Just, I don't want any of my people to, um, I don't want any of my, like my people, whatever that means, the, my <laughs> audience to think that less of you for saying shut up to me. I think you were saying, I think you were saying how I was talking about my marriage and being silly. So I think that's yeah, what you're yeah, saying yeah, shut yeah. up to me about, right? That's, that, that, that's British humor. Okay, I just want to make you you know you lived in America for a while. I don't want anybody to shut you down or or cancel you. Which by the way, it's interesting. I've been canceled by a few places 
because of my response, uh, my response to you, which is uh, really intriguing. So, okay, my last question. I have eight minutes, 23 seconds since I started that. Um, so when you, you're, you're a, a well-known speaker and you travel around, um, I'm curious, when you, when you make it, uh, when you get to the end of your sermon and you have a, a call, maybe I don't, I'm curious if you do altar calls, and if you do an altar call, um, your call to repentance, um, would you be calling people um, who, like, do you, do you make a call for repentance and what does that involve? I, a call for repentance. I mean, I would often do that and, and, write, and it would be based on, on, on the basis that we all constantly, repentance is not a one-off thing. Um, repent and believe the gospel is, is a changing of position, is, it's metanoia, it's, it's changing direction, and constantly we need to be turning towards Christ. So that would be my the, the essence of my call. It would depend on what I was, if I was preaching about um, giving, then repentance might be about a lack of giving, about um, keeping one's money to oneself. If yeah, it, yeah. If I was, if I was speaking about... Um, Oh, I don't know any one of a thousand things um, about honesty and dishonesty. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it would be a, a call to be honest. I'm, I, I haven't often made a call based on, on sexuality. And I can't imagine many circumstances in which I would, other than that I might call for faithfulness and fidelity. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I wouldn't, might. I certainly would call. Yes. But I, I believe passionately in, in committed relationship, in, in a lifelong thing, in faithfulness and fidelity and in, in mutuality. So, yes, yeah, that's good. Okay, I want to give you a chance. I'm going to just like mention a couple of things here to give like kind of like a little like a one or two minute closing response, and maybe I can do one too. But I'll do that with you with you here. And I certainly have enjoyed the conversation. Um, you know, it, if, if you guys, if people who are watching this, you know, if you take a chance, you can go to, you can just look up Chick and you can find some of the places that he's had his talks and, and even the talk that kind of generated this conversation. You can find my stuff here on this YouTube channel. I appreciate it. People are able to subscribe, even if you disagree. I think even though like there certainly are disagreements, it's an opportunity for us to have uh, clear conversations. I think this is what's needed in the life of the church. And it might be the place where I think it does lead to division at some point, but I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not saying that Chris is, uh, Chick isn't a Christian. Like, I'm not saying that. I do think that this message, unfortunately, is inconsistent with Christian orthodoxy. And I think it's problematic as I, but I also, it's, I've changed on a number of, of topics and I'm open to the truth wherever it leads. Like a Chick brought up the, um, sacraments earlier like I've, i'm one who's uh really uh pushed i have the first published article in the army like advocating a change in that position so anyway I, th that's all there okay chick i wanted to give you a second to think about a response so if you want to um have a closing response then i'll follow you no i think we pretty well said what we're going to say i'm uh, i i don't think my position uh, is i would just respond is, is not unorthodox i'm because i the gospel is far bigger than a position on sexuality to make that the defining thing. I mean, you know, you, you've mentioned sacraments. And one of the things that became uncomfortable for me was a leader who defined loyalty to the Salvation Army purely on accepting the traditional position on sacraments. I couldn't do that. That's I wrong. had to be open to speak 
I mean, I know that's in some ways an easier one, though certainly at that time it wasn't an easier one. But I think to make this the test of orthodoxy is a great mistake. And I have to say, I think history will be on my side on this one. I think, in the, you know, what's happening in Europe will happen in the States in the next few years. Um, it's, you, you're just a little bit behind us on this one. Oh, there, there it is. <laughs> the famous British line. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. There it is. No, I appreciate it. That's great. Okay. My, my little closing little bit is like, I just want to say like I, how much I value. Uh, I've appreciated your writing and speaking through the years, Chick. And at the same time, like as I, as I look at this, I'm not trying to define everything based upon human sexuality. Instead, for me, this comes back to the doctrine of the revela of revelation, not the book of Revelation, the doctrine of revelation, how God has revealed himself in space and time and a doctrine of creation, that if God has put within our very bodies a pointer to eternal realities, that this is then described throughout scripture and how we express our sexualities amongst other things too, that might be outside of God's best for us. And so it's, it's like in that spirit, because I, I think one of the great things I think that any of us could take from a conversation with Chick and I is that we say this because we believe this to be true. And if we believe it to be true, we believe it's true in a sense that it will help people live the best life that God has for them. And that's why I say this. I think Chick and I both, I know this about Chick and I, and I believe this about myself is I say this all in love and, and ultimately like, if this is how God has revealed himself, I wanna be on his side and where he's taking history. So, and I always, and of course, I love your song, Chick. The light has come. I believe the light has come in the person of Jesus Christ and the light will come. So thank you so much. I, I can't tell you how much it means. I can't wait to get to Manchester this summer and spend some time with you. Hopefully you'll still have me after this conversation. What do you say? I'll even buy you a meal. Will you? Okay. Yeah. And, and maybe sometime would be fun. I'm putting you on the spot here. Maybe it'd be fun for you and I to do like a live conversation where people can ask questions. What do you say to that? Be happy to do that. Maybe we can do that in a few months. We'll see if anybody watches this one. We'll see. Thank you so much, Chick, for your time. God bless you. Thank you. Well, you thought you were done with us, but it's actually the next day for us. This is Andy Miller coming back to you. Now, you can see, those of you who are watching on YouTube, I have my very holy Christmas sweater on here with two stormtroopers and candy canes. Uh, and so... I got a, a text this morning from Chick saying he really wanted, he didn't, wasn't happy with one of the questions that he asked me. He wanted to ask me another question. So I have 10 minutes here to kind of add an extra little piece on. So it's the next day for us. It's um, immediately after for you. So I'm really glad that you're able to stay along and hopefully people will be able to see this little extra light we want to bring. Chick, do you want to say anything before you ask a question? No, just that I, I you know, I thought we missed out what for me is ultimately uh, where the question has to be solved. And, and I wanted to make sure we, we included that. Okay. Yeah, sure. I, I think for both of us, we probably over the 24 hours since we had the interview have things that well, I could have done better there. So I hope you all are gracious to us. Again, the point of this conversation, this podcast was to have clarity, to have an open, honest dialogue um, of people who share differences. You could say that that's a traditional and progressive salvationism and how we are distinct. Um, but I affirm Chip as a brother in Christ and Ch Chip, Chick, Chick as a brother in Christ. So uh, anyways, go ahead. You get one more question. I get one more question. Shoot. Well, the question is, and I asked the question of myself, because I think this is, this is where it, 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 the, the, we come to ultimately is what happens when 
a gay couple join my congregation when 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 they when they begin to worship they're they're not making a big issue um you know well, how pastorally do we deal with that and i don't just mean do we visit them and, and counsel with them any pastor worthy of his or her salt would do that but yeah. what happens when they want to get involved you know do we make that the line do we say well you could pick up the hymn books at the end of the service but you can't sing with a worship group i mean that's that's the really yeah. big question is that a line that we draw i certainly couldn't draw that line and i want to know where you are with that that's a good question and certainly that's what we have to work through is like the real practical real world real real world applications of this yeah. and i've and being a salvation army officer for 14 years We've had to work with people who experience same-sex attraction, some people who are living in a state where they are living out their sexual desires that move against the way scripture has revealed itself, and how God's revealed himself through scripture, I should say. So it's not something that's completely unfamiliar to me, but I imagine that people are having to work through this in the practical dimensions as best they can. And I think, I just hope people know um, that the, even people on a conservative side like me generally by and large want to lead in love to listen to and, and and i could point to the people who have been in my office and we've talked through their concerns and sometimes they've come to the place where they disagree they don't see this uh, living out of their sexual desires outside of god's boundaries that are put in scripture as a sin and so i've talked with them about that and i've worked through that that with them um I, I think one of the clar clarifying things that need to happen, and this has been true in the ministry that God has given me in the Salvation Army, is that our doors are always wide open. Now, I know that some people feel like that's not uh, genuine, the fact that at the same time, we have restrictions and we hold God's boundaries for marriage, for sexual activity out, uh, um, within marriage to be the guidelines for how we operate. So um, there are I would, I would do everything I can to welcome people and make sure people feel welcome because of any place I want people to be, I want them to be in a place where they're hearing the gospel proclaimed, that that's what's going to ultimately bring them freedom. And so I want them to be there. where it, it gets interesting is, and this is like kind of a, this could be debated, talked about on many fronts is what does membership mean? And in our tradition, Chick, we have soldiership, which is an extreme commitment, a stream covenant. We have adherency, which is a little squishy and always been hard to figure out. And depending on the general, it seems to go up and down with what that what adherency looks like, like what, what that means. Then you have people who are see the place as their church home. So I think when there are opportunities to be able to have like clear lines of what leadership is, what, what being a member is, that's where we have to start thinking about what it means to be a part of a church. And so in, in that case, there wouldn't be opportunities for leadership for people who are living in sin. And I would say the same thing to somebody who's living in adultery or has an addiction to pornography or any other, any other sins too. So there's my quick answer. I know you probably want to respond a little bit to me and I'll, I'll give that to you before I ask, ask you a question. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a rub between us because my contention would be that in, in a proper reading of scripture, um, they, two people in a committed loving relationship and i would ask the same from a homosexual couple as i would add from a heterosexual couple of of commitment love mutuality uh, i do not think they are living in sin um, they are they are they are being true 
to, to, to their experience of their identity and of how God touches them. And I think, again, you know, the idea that we, we will welcome people. But when it comes to the crunch, you cannot be a member. I mean, I think we could debate whether soldiership is actually membership. I mean, I, sure. I feel increasingly that soldiership is a membership of an order and not mem is not church membership. You cannot yeah, yeah. make church membership based on extra biblical promises which soldiership demands that's not to say it's not a very good order but it isn't church membership i don't think and any meaningful thing but i think again my question was practically how do you let do, do you say to them you can come and sit in the congregation and listen to me preach and hear everything that comes and and we'll talk to you at the end of the service and we'll treat you nicely but what if this couple say we'd love to be involved do we let them help with the Christmas collection with the kettles? Or oh, you can do that, but uh, you couldn't actually sing in, in our songsters or our worship brigade. What happens if one is a trumpet player? You can't play in our band. I, I, I think that's in the end is exclusive. And I think it is counterproductive. And I think what we actually say to people is there is actually no real place for you in the church. Right. Um, I, I understand that's, that's how that appears. And I think that those lines are something we need to work through on an individual basis. But when, and so my distinction is any form of leadership is where that's distinguished. Now, of course, I've, and I said, it feels like it's been 24 hours since we talked, but people are going to hear this right away. My challenge to you, of course, in all this is I appreciate that they're, you're trying to emphasize the monogamous, faithful, loving relationships. But to me, it doesn't seem like it's going to be very long when you hold that view and you have that template for understanding reality that that's going to express itself in something beyond monogamy. Okay, my question, my question to you, Chip, Ch I keep saying Chip, Chick, is the canon closed? And, and I say that in light of the fact that has, has the light come? The light has come? You know, I, lo I love your song. And to me, it kind of expresses some of that reality that we see at the beginning of, of Hebrews, that God has revealed himself. But do you believe the canon is closed? Yes, indeed, I do. You, you, you cannot add to scripture. I'm, uh, you know, but, but let's, let's remember that the church had to use its judgment, its discernment to decide what was scripture and what wasn't. And some books were, were more controversial than others what i would say is no canon is decided we, we we must not change that but there is new light yet to break out of scripture i mean i go back to the issue of slavery i'm um, 150 years ago in, in in britain and america christian men who went to church on a sunday thought there was nothing wrong with owning people because in the bible it says talks about slavery as being okay we have we have begun to understand that the trajectory of scripture leads us to a place for, where for one human being to own another human being is entirely contrary to the will of God. Scripture is closed, but there is new light still to break out of scripture. Oh, I love how you brought light into that theme. You're such a good communicator, Chip. I keep on saying your name wrong. I don't know what happened. Maybe I just saw somebody named Chip. Okay, so here's what, uh, I, unfortunately, I have a Christmas party that I'm going to, even though this is coming out in January, so we don't have time to fully respond to that. I will say that people can look at some of my past videos, particularly my response on the Wesleyan Quadrilateral and Chick's uh, included talk um, where I address some of the slavery issues. That's something I'm not avoiding that. I'm not avoiding it. But for the sake of people's time, now we're getting closer to an hour and a half. Um, again, here's going to be a love fest again. Chick, thanks so much for your time. Uh, right now, I say Merry Christmas to you, but when people listen to this, it'll be more like 
Happy New Year. We need to do more. We need to have more discussions. And I think that our perspectives, like our camps, so to speak, if there is such a thing, don't talk enough and don't have conversations like this. And in the last 24 hours since we talked, I've been thankful that you gave me this time. Well, and I, I go back to what Winston Churchill said when people said, but you know, politicians did too much talking and, uh, and there was too much. The phrase they used was jaw jaw. And Churchill said, jaw jaw is better than war war. And I think whatever we must avoid a war in the church, in the body of Christ. We, we need to talk and talk and talk until we, we come to some kind of respectful conclusion. Even if that means we, we cannot actually uh, minister together. And I think sure. for some folk it will mean that, but I we, love will, that. Yeah. we will walk in respect and we will continue, continually pray for each other and, and seek God's blessing on each other's ministries. Amen. Oh, thank you so much, Chick. And you did give me a chance to show off my ugly Christmas sweater. So what can I say? I love how you concluded there. Thanks so much for coming to the Mortar Story podcast. And I say to everyone, God bless you. And thank you, Chick, for your time. My pleasure.